0: That's how you guys do it down here, huh? free lunch and babysitting. You might just want to pretend to be new. Um, it's awesome. As Gray said, I'm the pastor of downtown, and as most of you know, some of you are probably new. Uh, we're one church, New Valley Church, now in two locations, Awatuke, the Tuke, and downtown. And Lord willing, beyond, you uh, might see more churches be planted and the gospel go forth. This morning we're in Psalm 73, a psalm that's been close to my heart for many years, but I've, I've never preached it. And it's it's good to spend some time in it this morning because it's such an honest psalm. That's one thing I love about the psalms in general, but especially Psalm 73. It's this reminder that we can we can come to God with our deepest longings, fears, joys. We can come with real honesty to a real God because we're not coming to separate ourselves from all the pain in the world or to meditate ourselves into a state of, you know, not feeling or not thinking. But we are actually, we're coming to a person, a personal absolute God who hears and who cares. This last week, I was thinking about my time in middle school. That is a dangerous thing to do. All right. (laughs) There's definitely some suppressed memories there. And just reminded by Psalm 73 of I don't know my my envies, my frustration at seeing the wicked prosper. Those things that I wished I'd had that I didn't—whether it was popularity or muscles—I was like I had zero of those. Um, always wished I'd been a little bit taller. There was a song about that in my generation. Um, I used to sing it to myself. Uh, Girls was obviously another thing. I mean, I was like a three-foot-tall skateboarder, so always looking for some sort of validation in a girlfriend. 99.9% of the time failing at that. Um, And you know, it's funny. Now we're we're older, and it's just different stuff, right? Kitchens. Kitchens. Lord, why do they have such a big stove? (laughs) And I don't. You know, why do they have the... They look like they're like a perfect... If Target and Ikea had a baby, right? Tarkia. That's like... Glory shining forth, or cars, or success in our careers or in our homes. We need a rhythm of the gospel. We need this, this beat, this march to remind us that God is for us, to hear those questions and that we can trust him, that we can wrestle through discontentments and that he will provide for us because of his promises, real deep contentment. So we continue in our series on the book of Psalms, and we begin book three. So the Psalms, 150 Psalms, divided up into five books. It's not arbitrary. These things are going somewhere. And this is the beginning of the third book, and it kind of starts with a bang. Uh, But all of the books, all 150 Psalms, are sort of this way that we can come to sing and pray and wrestle with who God is and who we are that reflects the realities of life, the normal Christian life or the, the normal life of one of God's beloved children. And what you see in the Psalms, you know, lots of Psalms of David in the first book, and then all of these Psalms of Asaph here in, in book three, and it's this wrestling, and then Psalms of Ascent. You know, we're, we're going up to God's holy place in his sanctuary. It's these rhythms and cycles of confessing our sin and who God is, and then turning from our sin, and then receiving again Christ, offered freely to us in the gospel. We have this redemptive history going forth, and it comes to a crescendo in the last five Psalms, 146 through 150, where you basically just get this effusive doxology. He is good, and he is worthy of praise. That's where we are being led. That's the not yet, but the Psalms take our now and the tension of the now and not yet very seriously. The Psalms are filled with tension, and that's why the title of this week's sermon, do we have it up there? Yes. I want us to to say this in our best Ron Burgundy voice, you know. God is my strength? You know, it's it's wrong on the teleprompter. God is my strength, but he is. But is he? He is. So let's read Psalm 73, some portions of it, and we'll jump in here from the wisdom of Asaph. Beginning in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Here is where he starts. God is good to those who are pure in heart. Ah, but the struggle for the person, the existential struggle. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For when I was envious of the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Jump down to verse 10. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. The the wicked even lead God's people astray. And the wicked say, how can God know? Is there really any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain, he says. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence? to verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, and this is the key of the psalm, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, Lord, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually With you, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And I love this verse. Write this on your hearts. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength or the rock of my heart. And my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you, they will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you can be a refuge to us in these questions. Lord, we confess that we have these questions and we need you to speak to us even as we confess to you that you are good, but we are often perplexed and bewildered by the prosperity of the wicked. Help us to turn from the foolishness that thinks you lack knowledge or you cannot help. Help us to receive this wisdom that enters into the sanctuary of the living God and receives all of his promises in Christ. Help us then, we pray, to be sent from this place. We gather here, Lord, to be built up weekly in the gospel through prayer, through song, through teaching, through feasting at your table. But we gather so that we can be scattered to the world, to our workplaces and friends and families with this good news. So help us to receive it now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just tell you where we're going this morning, and this is sort of the way we've been handling gospel rhythms downtown rhythms of confession, repentance, receiving grace, and then action. So C R R A. That will be our outline this morning as it fits with our psalm An Honest Confession, Wise Repentance, Receiving the Wisdom of God in Christ, and then Telling Your Story. Let's begin with an Honest Confession. It's Valentine's Day. All right, I'm from New Mexico, and so we like to say Valentine's Day sometimes. My, my three-year-old daughter says Valentine's, and we are not going to correct her. That is from the Lord. Uh, but, you know, my wife and I, may, maybe it's just because we were both a little uh, out of sync or busy this year. I said, what do you want to do for Valentine's? She said, we never celebrate that. I said, yeah, yeah, you're right, we shouldn't. You know, it's just Hallmark invented that holiday, thinking that would, like, save me as a husband. Yeah, you're right, babe. Um, you know, I think we all know Valentine's Day is a little bit contrived. It's a little cheesy. It's, it's a marketing scheme that's worked really well. But, you know, it's not cheesy if you're alone. <laughs> if you're lonely, if you feel isolated. So the psalm begs us to come with an honest confession. Maybe for you, it's not loneliness on Valentine's Day. You know, maybe you can embrace the cheese of that. But maybe it's your anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's not even about you. Maybe it's your kids that you can't fix or change. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. You know you should be closer to them than anyone else, and yet why? Why is it that sometimes in bed at night you're inches away and feel miles away? Could be any of these things that cause us to look around to the situation around us and go, God, where where are you? Where is our help? Where is your justice? These realities are tough. As Gray said, God doesn't sit with crossed arms going, you know, suck it up and deal with it. Why can't you just get better? Just get better. You know the way. I've made it clear. Instead, with outstretched arms, he says, acknowledge that you need help, and I'll meet you there. So the psalmist begins with confessing that truth. We know that God is good. And if you're a Christian, this morning... This is the theme of our song and our lives. He is faithful to sinners. He is good. We know that. We know the Sunday school answer. He is faithful to his beloved, his Israel. I love Jacob. He's such a wily character. The Old Testament is just filled with these punks. They are not good moral examples. All right, Jacob was, I don't even, I can't even think of a word right now that, yeah, would be appropriate for the sermon. I mean, he was not a great dude. And yet he wrestled with God. And God was faithful to meet him in that wrestling. And he walked away with a broken hip, didn't he? But he also got a new name. So this psalm is our wisdom. Wisdom starts here with seeing ourselves rightly. Coram Deo, before the face of God. In, before God in his holiness, we might understand who we are to be in his image. And wisdom only comes through people confessing their humble need. That's why the wicked might seem like they're prospering, but in their pride, they can never have true wisdom. Their prosperity is but folly. That's why it can be taken away in a breath. So yes, we confess that truth, God is good, but we join Asaph in the second verse. And I just love how book three starts out because you're thinking to yourself, truly God is good to Israel. This will be a psalm of extolling in the goodness and wonder and greatness of God in the very next verse. But I had almost slipped. We must confess again. It doesn't always feel that way. We know you are good Lord, but it doesn't always seem that way. Life can often seem unjust. It can be confusing to us. We look at the situations around us. We look at politics and wars and rumors of wars and we check the stocks, which you probably shouldn't do. or You check your 401k. We see the fruit that is being born out of these things so often is frustrating and perplexing to us and more than that god where are you in those things with your justice sometimes the world is clearly just the broncos won the super bowl just saying lifelong fan i'm from new mexico so we have no team all right we have no people or place we're wandering nomadic you know, Semitic group down there in New Mexico. So we get to choose either the Broncos or the Cowboys. The sinners choose the Cowboys. And those who honor the Lord choose the Broncos. And they won uh, because of defense. Sometimes there's justice in the world. But sometimes there's deep and abiding whys that we can't shake. You know, when I was in college, I was a counselor at this camp for kids with cancer in New Mexico called Camp Enchantment. And I just remember year after year being so shaken in my own heart and in my faith, because it was like, God, where are you? They knew I was the Christian counselor. And I remember other counselors would come to me and be like, dude, how can you believe that and come here? <laughs> how can you believe all these great things about God and God's love? Then come here and see these, these sweet little kids who are suffering with cancer. And it didn't get easier because then you'd, you'd come back the next year and there was always a camper or two that you loved from the year before who was gone. so we confess again. There's us. So often our foot has almost slipped. We see the wicked prospering and our own obedience seems fruitless. And so we say with the psalmist, all in vain I have kept. Have you ever felt like that? Just on the edge. (laughs) And then we see them. Wickedness looks fun. It seems like wicked people are getting ahead. I just saw this little deal from Business Insider online talking about, you know, this this group of elite CEOs. And, you know, one trait that they all shared was basically just a willingness to plow through anyone to get what they needed done done, even if it meant, you know, uh, being dishonest. Sometimes we look at the wicked and we say, yeah, Lord, we know there's consequences coming. Again, Sunday school, check, but they're having fun now in their pride and violence and gluttony, the folly of their heart, their scoffing, their power. They have that now, and, and we want that now. Again, this isn't just envy. It's not just a breaking of the Tenth Commandment. It's more than that. It's, it's anger with himself that he can't fix himself. It's anger with God for not showing up to be just. It's a deep question that the Psalms ask us to ask. Why the imbalance? This all comes to a a head at verse 11. Repent wisely. Choose this day whom you will serve. The tempter's question at verse 11. A question that I think we often hear in our own minds. It's often riddled with a whole variety of accusations, fears, our own fear, our own shame. Verse 11, And they say, the wicked, how can God know? Did God really say? Sounds like a familiar question from a familiar garden. Is there knowledge in the Most High? I mean, come on. If God knew, if God knew who we were and what we were doing, surely he would step up. Surely he would solve the problem. The wisdom of this psalm beckons the people of God to make a choice. Yes, there are many empirical realities surrounding us which cause us to struggle and wrestle internally with the prosperity of the wicked, but choose. There are still only two trees. There is the tree of life. That is God's people submitting to God's word in God's world and finding the fullness of their hope by faith in Jesus. Not their works, but only righteousness in what Jesus has done. Jesus is the tree of life. And if we are connected to him, to that vine in union with Christ, even though the world and the nations rage, we can have peace. But there is another tree, and that tree says you get to decide what is good and what is evil. So will the realities around us and within us, will they draw us back to the joy of verse 1? Or down to the pit of pity parties, despair? Too often I have been in the latter camp. And that is why the key to this psalm is so important for all of those who are in Christ. We must receive the wisdom of God. And the fullness of the wisdom of God is in Christ. And Christ is the fullness of all of God's promises for his people. Look at the key here. What could possibly set the heart of Asaph right Seemed but a wearisome task, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. This is where our psalmist, and this is where we are to receive the wisdom, and it's not just instruction. It's not wisdom in the didactic sense. Like here's, you know, 10 propositions of wisdom. Again, this is meeting with a person in a personal relationship. The wisdom here comes to Asaph in worship. His heart is corrected As he sees that God is merciful to him even in these questions. He has a John chapter 3 verse 30 moment when he's confronted with the promises of God. God must become greater and I must become less. And he doesn't come based on his works. Isn't it a beautiful gospel thing for us family that this psalm is included in this book of worship for us, so that when you are feeling perplexed, when you are frustrated with the wicked and with yourself, God says, don't run from me, but come to me. I will meet you in that place. And what will you receive? The totality of the situations around you or your own feelings? No. The facts of God's promises. Amy Carmichael says it this way, and I love this quote. Our feelings don't change God's facts. And guess what? This whole psalm is Asaph's wrestling through his own life and questions to come to that realization. Because he comes at the very end of this psalm to the promise of verse 1. He can only come there after he receives. He receives confidence. Nevertheless, I am with you. You hold my right hand. Church, may we be reminded that God is not silent. He is not in the dock. Even when we turn on the news and it seems like God's being removed from here, there, in every sphere. God is not silent. And how does God prove himself to the world? In its scoffing and raging. In its persistence and wickedness. It's not through superficial Christian veneers. It's not just because we don't cuss and listen to the right music. God proves himself through deep and abiding faithful love of those who have wrestled and struggled and seen that God is true not through easy mountaintops, but through deep valleys. He receives confidence. He also receives purpose. Having seen God rightly, he can now see his questions rightly, the world rightly, what it means to flourish rightly. He can now look forward to the future and the promise, even as there seems to be temporary and fleeting prosperity for the wicked. You see, this is the nature in which Christ loves his bride. This is a gospel word for us. In rich and poor circumstances, in sickness and in health, in our own sickness, in our own health, Christ is still making for us a radiant bride. And so we can hear the word of the psalmist carefully. Man, it feels like this has all been in vain. Have you ever felt that way? It's Christian life, you know? Why? Sometimes, why, why, why? But it's not in vain. If you are in Christ, you are the bride of Christ and he will be with you in sickness and in health for richer or poorer. Till death do you not part, but go to him. And lastly, to receive embrace. We are not rejected for our questions. This is such good news. And again, verse 26, which is reiterated in 1 John three nineteen through 20, is powerful. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is not unjust. In fact, all of the injustice of the world was poured out upon Christ for us so that now in Christ, we might not only be justified, but go out and be a vehicle for justice in the world because he is both just and the justifier of sinners. You know, I love that song we sang to open our service. There is a fountain filled with blood what kind of weird people still sing those kind of songs i'll tell you the kind because the man who wrote that hymn william cowper you got to look him up go go do a little google search later on old william cowper he suffered with melancholy anxiety and deep depression almost his entire adult life there's a a story that john wesley who was a friend would visit him frequently when he was at his wits' end to basically talk him off the ledge of taking his own life. And yet it was Cowper in his suffering, in his questions, in the fact that his foot had almost slipped. It was Cowper, Cowper who could write these words But I will lose all my guilty stains, all my shame, all my brokenness, all my fear of man and fear inside, and hurt and weakness. It will all be lost. It will all be wiped away because I am embraced and loved by the Father. That's the only wisdom that can answer the questions of Asaph and ours. So what now? If you've been embraced in that way, verse 27 and 28, we know the end of the wicked. He says in verse 28, but for me it is good to be near to God. Man, it's one of those Peter moments, right? Jesus says, Where else will you go? And Peter says, we have nowhere else to go but you, Lord. Peter's very spiritual in that moment because Peter's like the annoying Bible answer man at that moment in his life. But then after, Peter literally denies Jesus. That's a very hardcore thing. And he doesn't just do it once. He does it three times. What happens? God says, you're done, man. You walked me for all those years. Get out of here. Go back and be a bad fisherman again. No, he is restored on the beach by Jesus. And instead of him bringing his meal to Jesus, forgive me, Jesus is already on the beach cooking a meal for him, which we're about to partake of. Having been embraced, he says, where do I have to go but you? And what does Jesus say to Peter? Then feed my sheep. That's our call, church. This is the application. Tell your story. If you have received this wisdom, tell your story. Tell your story to the world. Have eyes to see. Take every thought captive and help other people to do so. If we're the church, then we need to have our eyes open for each other. We need to bear each other's burdens. The church is the worst, and I am the worst, at wanting to bear each other's burdens. In my community group, C group, one of our ladies recently wrote an email and said, you know, I feel kind of dumb for doing this, and I know it's little stuff, but my kids are sick, and, you know, all these things. I know it's little, and I just feel bad. And you know what? We all had to just rebuke the whole idea of it. Not to, we didn't rebuke her, but just to encourage her and rebuke this thing of like, oh, it's too little. Oh, your kids are sick. That, that's too little to bring to the body. No, it's not. When you're in that moment, and that's what it is for you, and that's where the point of painfulness exists, That's exactly where the body needs to have eyes to see, where we need to bear each other's burdens. How will we tell our story? We need to see those around us who have need. We need to see those who are in the throes of asking these questions, and we need to help them. We need to be life to them and mercy to them. Just as God didn't reject Asaph when he came with these questions, may we never be a church that rejects people who are in the middle of these questions. That old parable of the man who goes to the king and says, forgive my debt of billions, trillions, you know, Dr. Evil amount of money. 100 bajillion, trillion dollars. The king goes, okay, I will forgive you. And then he goes out and a day later he's beating some guy in the street who owes him a thousand bucks. Church, let us repent of that spirit that is in us all. We want God to be near and merciful when we're asking questions, but let us have eyes to see the path that people are on when they're asking those questions and arms to hold. Would this be the sort of sanctuary that a psalmist like this could come and meet with the real and the living God in grace, in truth, in power? God never keeps us in our sin, but he meets us with grace to take us out of our Sin. Oh, that our church, New Valley, Ahwatukee, New Valley, downtown, would be a place where these kind of people singing these kind of songs could come and be led slowly sometimes to the good gospel words of verse 28. God is my refuge. God is our refuge, and so we are sent into the world to tell our story, to go build coverings. You know, your boss might be among the prospering wicked you might live and move and have your being among many prospering wicked, but guess what? Just as the Lord has built a covering and a refuge for you in Christ, we're sent into the world to do the same, to go build houses and homes of covering, built with the mortar of love to care for those who, yes, look like they're doing really well, but in their hearts have deep, deep need. If the posture of Jesus himself was to kneel at the basin, to wash the feet of sinners, to take the posture of a servant. If he showed us that power is made perfect in weakness, this is how we, having received this wisdom, are to go into the world. So we have our doubts, yes. We we confess our frustrations with Asaph. Lord, why does it look like bad people oftentimes are doing great and good people are suffering? You can all think of a friend or a family member that you're like, why her? Why him with that disease or that financial issue or that whatever. We confess that boldly before the throne of grace, but we confess again, he is good. He is a refuge. We receive that mercy even as the nations rage. We have peace that transcends all the understanding that the news channels are reporting upon. Having been filled with that grace, we go into the world to tell it, to tell our story. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ has already been said and prayed while we were still sinners, dead in our trespasses, not just needing medicine or help to get ourselves back on the treadmill, but needing the power of the resurrection applied to us by the absolute personal work of the Holy Spirit. You are on the treadmill, Lord. We do not need to run any longer you have run to us and you run to us not just when we are spiritual or feeling good but even when we feel overwhelmed by the questions and situations of the world you have run to us and you have loved us we have confidence in you an anchor for our souls you embrace us so help us lord we pray so you receive this grace now through your table to go and tell this great story of your mercy and your love, that you are a refuge, that you are good. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.